Hello and welcome to Now Here's a Thing, the latest laid-back podcast crafted by me, Tracy Jones, and me, Heather Noble. without some background noise with it. Yeah, there is a little bit of there is a little bit of a noise. But hopefully it's the heating because it's bleeding cold. It's so. quite warm in here, I think. Do you think? Yeah. Oh, I s- the radiator's not on full bore, but yeah, I feel basically I feel like I want to get under that weighted blanket that you were talking. I've been thinking about it all week. Do I get one? Do I get one? Do I get one? Oh, yes, get one. And I was home alone last night, Stuart was away and I was like if I'd got a weighted blanket, that would just be... It just I've got a cat next to me. It just doesn't let me out of bed, though. That's yeah, the well, I don't... Yeah, as I said last week, that's... Um, I don't need a weighted blanket for that problem. <laughs> now, here's the thing. What is your earliest memory? My earliest memory. Not sure if these are in the right order. I remember living in in a certain place. It was a flat. I remember being on the balcony. Mm-hmm. And I also remember the smell of a Wendy house that I had for a birthday. Oh. And I think we'd moved to a different house when I was four. So maybe I was three... Maybe I was four, but I think something like that, around about that age. Okay. But I remember the smell of the Wendy house more than anything else. That's interesting, isn't it? Mind you, smells, they can take you back to a place, can't they? Yeah, really do for me. Okay. Um, And do do you think that they're actual memories or are they learned memories? I think with it being the smell, I think that's an actual memory. Um, I remember being on the balcony, but there is a learned memory associated with that because my mum told me that I threw all my toys off the balcony one day. Okay. That I don't really remember, but that's something I was told. But I do remember being on the balcony. Okay. I remember it was like a concrete little rectangle and there was a, a circular drainage hole, presumably, but you could... You could look through the circular little circle. Okay, all right. So the reason I ask is because it was my niece, it's my niece's birthday today. She's going to be six, and we had a little family lunch on Sunday. And my brother just happened to mention conversation. He said, "Yeah, he said we do all of these things, you know, to make things special." He said, "But I don't know how much of it she's going to remember." At six, surely some of it. Well, because he was saying that he thinks his earliest memories were around the age of five or six. Okay. Okay. So then he's thinking, you know, not necessarily what we were doing on Sunday, but, you know, stuff that they've done. We were talking about all the things that you've done since you, you know, while you were five and all of this sort of thing. And it it got me thinking. So I did a little bit of a look into what, um, you know, what the rule of thumb is, because I suppose there's no certainty because... You know, we're all different, aren't we? So our ability to remember yeah. things and recall things and, is different. And I do think you're right in terms of what is a, a memory that somebody's given to you and you've you've just accepted that it is your memory. 
or a photograph or yeah, yeah. you know I mean one of my earliest memories is getting lost at the seaside and I remember um a policewoman finding a policewoman or a policewoman finding me and then getting told off by my grandma because I'd wandered off um rather than everybody going oh thank god you're safe how old uh, were you I think I was about three yeah but but I don't know so anyway I so first of all I just googled as you do and I ended up on wikipedia and they talk about something called childhood amnesia or infantile amnesia which is the inability of adults to retrieve episodic memories um before the age of two to four years Okay. okay so that's quite broad so that's yeah that's quite broad in itself um but it says um that um it it also says that between the ages of two and six it can be difficult for us to recall those memories so it doesn't mean that they aren't there it's just that we're difficulty retrieving them um so basically this this fragmented period wane period wanes off at around the age of four and a half to five and in between the ages of five and six that is when we start to stabilize our autobiographical memories in terms of things that we own and actually can carry forward as a memory okay so there's there's some stuff that's might that might be there but then between the ages of sort of five and six we're actually certain that they're there. So you, my memory of being lost at the seaside is a snatch, you know, it's a thing mm-hmm. rather than the ability to remember more. There's not a timeline exactly, with Exactly, that. and more context. Okay. They also say <coughs> that once we develop a cognitive self, so it's an, an identity... It's separate to... Yes, yeah, that that it. can help us um, with those memories okay. because even if you think about it, I think we might have touched on this before you know sometimes you access a memory in your brain as an adult from maybe your adult life or your your, your early life and you'd completely forgotten about it yeah. or not accessed it yeah. again but it's there definitely and you know that it's a certainty whereas this one of me getting lost you know I kind of think it happened but there's, whereas, you know, categorically, there are certain things that I could say, absolutely, that happened, and I remember it. So I thought that was quite interesting. Mm. Um, and, and then um, I went on to find, um, there was an article, actually, on the BBC about why you cannot trust your early childhood memories. Okay. Um, and they say that around four out of every ten of us have fabricated our first memory. Okay. Um, And it's because our brains don't develop the ability to store autobiographical memories, at least until we reach two years old. So there's this sort of two to three-year-old thing. Um, Infants can make memories that are not long-lasting because, of course, they must be able to remember things. Otherwise, they wouldn't remember that crying gets them more attention or the familiar face of a mother or, you know, some of that yeah. is, well, some of that is nature and some of that is nurture, isn't it? Um, but apparently, I've got a tickle in my throat, sorry. I can hear it. Um, it sounds like you're about to cough. Yeah, sorry. Um, 
but but this article is suggesting that seven is about the age when we absolutely take ownership. So again, it's you know it's a bit broad between five and seven, we yeah. we take ownership of these um, these memories. I don't think I could place them very well. I'm never very good at remembering years, so my memories. I'm not sure whether I store them in a chronological order or not. I don't think I, you know, I, I could remember that happening at school, but I wouldn't be able to hazard a guess as to what year I was in. Apart without... from maybe if you could visualise a scenario and know that that classroom was probably... Was yeah. Well, they also then talk about... Hang on, I'm going to cough now. <coughs> sometimes, because we dream as well, don't we? Yeah. And sometimes you can lose it. So I have. I remember having a dream as a child that Father Christmas had left me a particular thing by the side of my bed, right? Oh, my God. And it was a very this, real this dream. This could be really traumatising. Yeah, yeah. You woke up and it's not there. And it wasn't there. And yet, sometimes in my adult life, I can't remember whether it actually was the dream or whether it was actually there. You know, there's a moment yeah. when I go, oh, God, I had that thing. Oh, no, I didn't. So that in itself, because obviously I would have, I dreamt it, the disappointment clearly was real but you know that sometimes when you wake up and you're not quite sure if you're in the real world or the yeah the dream yeah um and so that's in your memory now is this, yeah yeah this liminal space exactly. between sleeping and waking exactly wow so so there's lots there's lots of things um and she was the, the lady who's written this article um refers to a lady called Julia Shaw, who's a psychological scientist at University College London. And she has shown that it is possible to convince somebody that they have committed a violent crime. No. Yeah, even though that never happened. <coughs> no, I'm coughing. <coughs> it must be catching. It's the heating that you're talking about. How on earth do you do that? Um, she says that... Using memory retrieval techniques, participants were asked leading questions over three interviews, which led to 70% of them generating a false memory of a crime they committed when they were younger, with some even believing they'd assaulted someone with a weapon. Almost three quarters with these false memories could even provide vivid descriptions of what police officers looked like. So it demonstrates that in in a highly suggestive interview people can quite readily generate disturbingly false memories. No. Yeah. Yeah. Can you believe anything that people say? Well, that leads me on to something else this week that has come out of this. So remember, this all started on Sunday, this conversation. And last night... With your brother, yeah. With my brother. And last night, while I was away, um, while Stuart was away, he messaged me, because sometimes on a Monday evening I don't... I feel like watching TV, but I don't really know what to watch. And he reminded me of something we've been discussing on New Year's Eve with um, a teacher um, at a dinner party. And this is the documentary Three Identical Strangers. Have you come across this? No. Okay. So this is about um, three triplets who were separated at birth and adopted by three identical families. Triplets. Identical triplets. Is this fact or fiction? This is fact. Um, and when they were 19, they discovered... So it started off, one of them went to college and somebody kept saying... Treated, people were treating him as though they knew him. 
And then when they found out he wasn't the person they thought he was, this guy said, you've got a twin, you've got a twin. And they put them in touch and lo and behold, they were identical twins. Oh my God. And reunited after 19 years. Fantastic. Goes, you know, into the press, blah, blah, blah. Somebody picks up a paper and sees these two, two of people. themselves. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out they're triplets. Now, the whole, without spoiling the, the documentary, it's not the happiest story that you would ever hear. But it transpired that they were actually part of a social experiment where there was an organisation, um, an adoptive agency, that was placing twins and triplets, separating them, and putting them into different um, um, social um, circumstances to see whether the nurture impacted more than the, the nature. Oh, is that legal? Well, it's very questionable. Uh, and so this started looking at, again, you know, so based on what we've been talking about on Sunday, I was like, well, at what point did these guys remember? And they go into quite a lot of detail, and it is worth watching. It's yeah. very, very interesting. Um, although, you know, upsetting in the yeah. fact of what's, what's actually happened to them. Um, but to see how these three people, they were identical. They liked the same things. Um, they'd done similar things. But slowly this story unfurls about what within their personalities is nature. Um, and then what impact the nurture has whether for positive or whether for negative. It's fascinating. Wow. wow. Just for for the listener, my jaw dropped on the floor then when you were saying yeah, it. I couldn't believe that. I, I knew that it was an interesting story. I'm interested in adoption because my father was adopted um, and he didn't find out until he was approaching 40. But of course, he was only one of one. You know, the yeah. idea that there might have been two other people who were then, you know, bad enough if they were um, not identical twins, but they were identical twins. Triplets. Triplets. Uh, sorry, they were identical triplets, yes. That's bizarre. Yeah, isn't it? it's a fascinating story. So this whole thing about, you know, their their lived experiences were their memories because I think they were about six months old when they were actually adopted. So they stood no chance of remembering... Certainly anything, in you know, in that first bit. Yeah. And fortunately, probably none of the trauma of being associated with being taken away from your birth mother. So nature's good to us in some respects, yeah. but, you know, what happens beyond that year five, four, five, whatever you might be, right the way up to um, 19, they were none the wiser. Wow. Okay, so I've got a, a TV recommendation off you yes. as well. Yeah, yeah, it's it's about not, I think it's about ninety minutes. Wow, I don't know how to follow that up. Really, I'm going to follow it up with what I was going to talk about last week, but we jibber jabbered for way too long on the subject. No, we had. yeah, surely not. So um, I had researched crochet. Okay, <laughs> so the, 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 it was the theme of my Christmas was my weighted blanket blanket and crochet okay did somebody buy you a crochet kit no no I've, I've had crochet as an interest for a little while but I only tend to do it when I've got oh excuse me that's the BBC breaking news that's probably a breaking news about the um 
inquiry to... Oh, no, that's Rwanda. It's It's been nothing but Rwanda and the um, post... The post uh, office. Quite post right office right stuff today. Quite right, right. Um, no, so crochet's been... Um, an interest of mine for a little while. I've, I've played around with knitting. I can't really do that very well, but crochet, I like. And I can crochet all sorts of things as long as they're rectangle. Oh. Yeah, I can't I can't really do other shapes. Okay, all right. I can do rectangles. And I, I really enjoy the journey of crochet. So if I'm perfectly honest, I could crochet and then I could unravel it and then I could do it again. Well, I've done, yeah, knit. I do that with knitting because I can't actually knit it. Yeah, I do that with knitting because if you make a mistake, it's very unforgiving. So you yeah. have to take it all the way back yeah. at the beginning. But uh, with crochet, it's, it's a lot more forgiving with a mistake. Okay. Uh, I can work my way back. But I wanted to look at where, one, where crochet had come from, and then surely there are benefits to crochet, and I think they're probably well known. So um, I just ha- had a quick search for the. Um, benefits of crochet and AI came up with a whole list of things that it had uh, found so reducing anxiety relieving depression reducing stress improving memory helping with addiction obviously not with craft addiction or buying (laughs) yarn addictions which is uh, a little bit of a problem well it's hard to smoke while you're crocheting I imagine yeah good point and all drink alcohol yeah true it can boost self-esteem, not if you've seen the state of mind crochet, boost creativity, enhance motor skills, uh, connects with, with others. Not for me, only if you sort of go out and join the crochet community. Well, a lot of people do like crocheting yeah. circles on, what do they call them, stitch and bitch or knit yeah. and bitch or whatever So I guess the next one, reduce loneliness is another yeah. one. Um, delay dementia, um, enhances focus. It's a type of mindfulness. But there was actually some research that was done. Um, and I found this on um, a research website, uh, PubMed. Happy Hookers. <laughs> Find, findings from an international study exploring the effects of crochet on well-being. Now, I- interestingly enough, um, they respondents to this survey that they did, this research they did, um, it was an online survey, and it. I'm guessing the people selected themselves for this. 95% women. A little bit more than that. Oh. 99.1% okay. women. Uh, between the ages of 41 and 60, that was 49.5%. Living in 87 different countries. countries. Uh, many had re- reported crocheting for between one and five years. Um and the most frequent reasons reported for crocheting were to be creative, 82%, to relax, 78.5%, and for a feeling of accomplishment, 75.2%. Res- respondents reported that crochet made them feel calmer, happier and more useful. So the data suggests that crochet offers positive benefits for personal well-being um, with many respondents actively using crochet to manage mental health conditions and life events such as grief, chronic illness and pain. This research suggests that crochet can play a role in promoting positive well-being in the general population, adding to the social prescribing evidence. Ah. Base. So, I crocheted a hat once. I don't know how I did wow. it because I don't know how to crochet. <laughs> 
you followed some instructions. What I normally have to do is because a bit like with card games, I'll hold that information in my head for as long as I need it, and then yeah, it's gone. It's gone. So crochet stitches, I'll hold that that info in my head until I finish the item, but then I have to remind myself if I start something new what a double crochet is, what a triple crochet and how to turn a corner. just doesn't stay in. So thank God for YouTube because there's some really good videos. Well, I went to learn to crochet. So I crocheted the hat years ago. I mean, it wasn't a very good hat, but I crocheted a hat. Um, Why don't you wear it? It's not a very good hat. Okay. But it is a hat. In fact, I may it may have found its way to the big ball of wool in the sky by now, I don't know. But then, about 18 months ago, I went to learn how to crochet, just went to a class, Um, and I left thinking, yeah, absolutely, got this. Gone. Gone. Yeah. Gone. And the hardest bit for me is getting in back into, once you, if somebody gave me a started bit of crochet, I could probably, it's the getting... Yeah. And I, you saying you can do squares, corners, I'm rubbish. Having a neat corner, yeah, impossible. I've mastered the edges because I've just done two blankets. But give me a few months and I'll have forgotten how to do that. So, Well, at least you'll have made two blankets. I think it would be lovely to crochet a nice blanket. I didn't say they were nice blankets. Oh, a blanket. Yeah. Is it for the cat? No, they are for human use. Um, so where does crochet come yes. from? And I found a website called um, Crafting, oh no, Darn Good Yarn. Mm. The History of Crochet. Uh, the origins, like knitting apparently, are lost to the mists of time. They don't know exactly where it originated from, but the, the word crochet comes from a French word for hook. Okay. Croche. Croche? Or croc. Okay. Or it could be, or it could be connected to the Norse word crocker, which also means hook. So okay. it's very definitely a word for hook. And what we consider crochet today, according to this article in Darn Good Yarn, can be traced back to the 15th and 17th century. But loads of countries have got evidence of crochet in their history France, South Africa, England, Italy, Arabia, China. But they don't know exactly where it came from. Maybe it sprung from all these places at the same time. Mm. Um, some fibre artists claim that crochet started in the Middle East and then was found very soon after in Spain. And the Middle East is known for their vast trade routes, so they would have taken it along with them. On what about the trade countries routes. where they have a lot of lace? Because I suppose the think, lace making is a little simpler, isn't it? Because I, I suppose you know, at some point, if you've got a thread, and you do something with it to make it greater than the thread, yeah. whether that's lace, whether it's knitting, whether it's crochet, whether it's making nets for the fish. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's using yarn, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I suppose also it must be difficult because if it's made from fabric. It would rot over the years. Yes, so archaeologists struggle to find it because they're made from natural fibres in history. Yeah. So polyester or anything, was there? So it's difficult to know. Do you want to know when the first crochet pattern was written? Go on. 1829, the first known crochet pattern, 
was written by a Mademoiselle Riego de la Branchardière, the daughter of a French father and an Irish mother, and she is known as the Mother of Crochet. And she's said to be the creator of the Irish crochet style, whatever that is. Well, so yeah, again, if it comes from lots of different countries, maybe, you know, maybe living here in the UK, we learn certain styles of crochet. Yeah. And in the Far East or in... Yeah, exactly. Well, this lady, the mother of crochet, her patterns were very lacy and decorative. Uh, so um, they're saying they're not for average day-to-day wear, more likely to used to show off the maker's prowess. Um, and she published a book of knitting and crochet patterns in 1846. And apparently you can still get them on Ravelry, but I, I, I'm not that good. I don't think I'm going to do that. I'll carry on with my... You practice uh, repeat, a bit more. Repeat yeah. the same subject. Grapple with the ends and turning. And I'm just grateful if I've got straight edges. I mean, to see people, I, f- I actually follow a couple of crochet um, crochet groups on various social media platforms. Wow. And every because I just I admire when somebody can do something really, really well. Because it's not. I just don't have that. That neatness, that ability to 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 do things that well. I'm a bit of a near enough merchant, therefore nothing ever gets used or utilised. Fair enough. Yeah. But when I see people doing things beautifully, I mean, I saw a there was a little tile. It was embroidery, actually. Um, this little, it looked like a little white tile, and um, it had footprints in the snow. Wow! And dog prints. I was like, wow, what's that? And I looked at that, and it was some Japanese embroidery. And they had embroidered the footsteps and the dog's paw prints in this white fabric to make it look like footsteps in the snow. No chance of me either thinking of doing that or achieving it. (laughs) And it's the same with the crochet things. When people are crocheting wedding cakes, just all, I don't know, all sorts of things. Clothes for dogs, it doesn't matter. I just go, wow. Would you like to see an example of my blanket? It's no good for the listener, but there you go. Oh, that's not... Um, it's very neat. It, uh, it's reminded me of somebody does... A, I saw somebody had done a season blanket where you you knit, I think it is actually, or, or maybe crochet, for the colour of the season. And then by the end of the oh, year... Oh, yes, I've seen those. You've got all of I've the colours. I've seen one called the weather... Blankets. Right, okay. And yeah. no, this was just using up the odds and sods. Nice colours. Yeah, they, they were so just left over. So how big is that? I've got no sense of scale. That one was quite small. Um, it was as wide as an armchair. Okay. And it was designed to go down the back of an armchair. Okay. I made one the size of a single bed. So I, I originally bought the yarn to go at the size of a single bed. Oh, right. And this so is... it's mostly grey yeah. with two lines of colour, then, then a big block of grey, then two lines of colour oh. with different colours. Um, and these were just on the left. Oh, right. Yeah. Wow. Um, but I just enjoy the meditative process of just mindlessly. Yeah, I did knitting quite obsessively at one time when I was struggling with my mental health. And, yeah, I literally would just knit. I mean, Doctor Who, you know, Tom Baker, Doctor Who, his scarf, 
got nothing on me. I could just go for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. And then I just undo it all and then knit it again. Yeah. It is there it's is the something, journey. Yeah. yeah, not the destination yeah. with it. Yeah. Yeah, especially when what what you produce well, yeah, I've got way too many scarves, so I thought I'd better do something other than a scarf. I also now have quite a few blankets as well. But no, no, I think that's not I mean, you know when people are having a baby and you but somebody's having a baby and somebody crochets a really beautiful yeah. lacy cot blanket for the baby and I think my mum's always made uh, crocheted um, uh, Christine shawls for right. all the children and the family. So from me and all my cousins and then all of their children. I mean, yeah, that's a beautiful that's thing a, to do, isn't it? A skill that I don't have. Yeah, yeah it's quite... Well, funny. unless they want a, a christening blanket that... Multicoloured. You know, like a stripy jumper. It's like a weighted blanket. Like a weighted blanket, yeah. I'll make you a weighted blanket one of these days. So then you, what would you do then? Would you just... Um, you couldn't... Have you yarn? You just have to sew coins onto the corners <laughs> and weigh it down. <laughs> Put weights in it. Yeah. yeah. And I think you do that with, with actually just heavier yarn. Oh. I think so okay. anyway. Put discs in it. <laughs> She can't well, they put that in they put that in hems of skirts, don't they, sometimes? To, yeah. Yeah, to stop them. Stop your skirt blowing away. Flying up, yeah. Yeah. To protect your modesty. Yeah. <laughs> we could just rope you down to the bed if that's what you want. Well, that's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother subject, maybe for another podcast. Now Here's the Thing is a Jones and Noble production brought to you every week. Well, maybe not every week ever <laughs> recorded with an iphone a microphone and lots of hot air 